The gospel reading today is from Luke 14, 25 to 35, the cost of discipleship. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. So sometimes I feel like we're all too removed from nature. We find ourselves preferring skyscrapers to trees, uh, the radio to the beautiful music of songbirds, and more often than not, our phone screens to God's magnificent creation. I'll never forget going to the Missouri Botanical Garden, and they were doing an exhibit on fruits and vegetables and all sorts of plants that you can grow in your backyard here in St. Louis. And um, because you can grow it in your backyard in St. Louis, uh, let's show you how to do it here at the Botanical Garden. But uh, I'll never forget a, a little boy, he was like six or seven, and he, uh, I overheard it out of the corner of my ear, all right? So he goes, what is that tomato doing on that plant? And so what I deduced from that was that uh, this young boy, he uh, believed that tomatoes come from the grocery store, not, you know, nature. But so we know that kids say pretty funny things, but who can blame them, right? So according to recent research, 63% of Americans live in cities now. Uh, not the suburbs, not the rural areas, and 64, this is the one that shocked me, 64% of kids, uh, they play outside for around five minutes once a week. Um, And also, uh, they spend about 53 hours, which is more than a full-time job, uh, engaging in screen entertainment media. So, even though we know that interacting with nature can expand our imaginations, that it can calm our uh, behavioral uh, disorders and symptoms, and it simply makes us happy, still we distance ourselves from it, right? And I myself, I can't point the finger. You see, I grew up in the suburbs, and when I was about the same age, uh, I remember um, going on vacation to Wisconsin very often, And one of the uh, first ones that I can remember, we were driving up to central Wisconsin, and I was looking out the window as 
Uh, my dad never let us, you know, look at our Game Boys or anything when we were on car trips. He always said, look out the window. But beside the point, uh, I'm looking out the window at picturesque dairy farms, at rolling green hills, at the sunshine peeking through the clouds. And then, <sighs> what, what's that smell? And so, you know, this whole time also, the cows are mooing from the dairy farm, so I'm starting to put two and two together. And my dad is mooing back, because he's a funny guy. And I go, you know, mom and dad, this smells bad out here. And my mom peeks around and she says, she looks at my brother and I and she says, I don't think it smells bad. I think it smells clean. And so I'll never forget that because I was a city slicker and what, when, what I thought of manure, that it was dirty, smelly, uh, another person saw as clean, good, and pure. So in today's text, Jesus lays out some wisdom that sometimes we misunderstand. It's wisdom that's foreign to us because it's agrarian. Uh, he says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. Jesus says all this after giving quite a bit of examples of what it means to, or the true cost of discipleship. He says you have to be prepared to lose all of your friends and family, to endure suffering and inevitably death, and to suffer, this is a big one especially today, to suffer public shame, as well as perhaps losing your worldly possessions. But the bit at the end about salt... This was a timeless, eternal farming example that everyone that was there, that heard, could understand. But as I said before, today we're pretty disconnected from nature, from farming. We, we live in a city, we live in Ladue. Uh, and even though we see lots of trees around us, still, not many of us are farmers. But back in the day, most people farmed. And they've uh, been connecting to conventional farming wisdom for thousands of years. You see, what Jesus is saying about salt is that salt, it's either salty or it's not. You can, it's salty and you can use it for whatever purpose you have. Or uh, if, it didn't, if, it did not, if it was not salty, then all you could do with it was throw it away. And there's no in-between. Salty, not salty. Useful, useless. Therefore, Jesus only had use for disciples that were ready for the long haul, that still had their saltiness, that were willing to leave their old lives behind. If they weren't, if they lost their saltiness, then if uh, they took into account everything Jesus was warning them about, about being his disciple, then, uh, and they decided not to continue to follow him, he had no use for them. But there's something also about the salt metaphor that Jesus uses we don't often think about. I, for one, did not ever think about this before researching for the sermon. But it is about salt. It is about manure, which we like to shy away from. And it's about farming. So, and I also figure because it's rally day today, uh, I'll include some uh, teaching about chemistry as well. You see... Most people at the time farmed in some capacity. 
uh, whether they were growing their own food or growing food themselves and to sell for supplemental income, or they were just farmers. Uh, they used salt for everything. And salt wasn't just for flavor. Also, you could use it to store food. It was used in war. Uh, if you wanted to you know, ruin people's farmland and make it no longer grow crops, you could throw some salt in there. And of course, for farming. And everyone tended to get their salt from the Dead Sea. Dead Sea was very useful. They get big bowls of the water and they let it evaporate and it would leave behind crystallized, you know, chemicals, salts, or at least what they thought was salt. And the first one to crystallize was called carnalite. Right. The problem was that carnalite looked like salt, but when you tasted it, it tasted like nothing. So it was useless. They threw it away. But also, um, Besides what I described before about using salt in times of war, salt also was used as a weed killer. And so that was potassium chloride, if you've ever used low salt. So it's potassium instead of sodium, so it doesn't hurt your heart or uh, what have you. And finally, what I'm concerned about today to tell you about is potassium nitrate. My new favorite kind of salt. So, this was produced through this really strange ancient method that, you know, you kind of ask yourself, how'd they figure this out? But anyways, they would put all those things they found from the Dead Sea into the manure pile with some ash and some other animal waste, and they'd let it sit there for like two weeks. Then they'd uh, pour a bunch of water in it, and they'd let that evaporate. And what did they have left behind? Potassium nitrate. This nitrogen-rich salt was then literally used to fertilize the soil and young seedlings to yield better crop. It was a wonder product, and you could make it at home. So what made farmers like it so much is that they could toss whatever they had left over. They could even use the old potassium nitrate and throw it back into the manure pile. In two weeks, they had fresh fertilizer. So quite literally, the manure pile was great. It wasn't smelly, it wasn't gross. It was maybe a farmer's favorite thing. Endless nitrogen, ready to recharge their fertilizer and yield better crops. No matter how unsalty these salts became, they could be returned to the manure pile and be made into fertilizer again. So after this, Jesus says, Hearers, those who can hear, listen to this. So hearers is what Jesus calls his followers whenever he's teaching them something. It could be, you know, the sermon on the plains. It could be a parable. It could be when he's talking about who family is. It's like calling them catechumens. That's why, actually, uh, the Lutheran Church, we refer to uh, you guys in the pews as hearers, because you're learning something from the gospel message, just like Jesus' disciples did. But one of the stories that Jesus tells in the text today is about someone who wants to build a tower. He says, who of you, when you want to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and consider all the cost, whether you have enough for completion, so that after you finish only the foundation, you don't suddenly realize you don't have what it takes to finish, and everyone looks at you and laughs. I read this and thought, 
who of us has considered building a tower? That was my first reaction. And then I remembered Boy Scout camp. So back in the day, maybe in junior high, I got the opportunity to attend the farewell to Tomo Chichi Knowles Boy Scout camp. It was the last weekend before the owners sold all of the beautiful land to the park district for a very large sum of money. And um, we basically learned this that Friday night, all of us scouts in junior high, uh, that we would no longer be able to go and do archery, BB shooting, learn knots, and all the things scouts do. So we were bummed. And we're sitting around the campfire, and our scoutmaster, Mr. Mack, he picked up on this. He's, he goes, um, guys, don't lose heart. Uh, there's lots of cool stuff we can do on uh, Farewell to Tomo. In fact, let's build a tower. And so we're all like, okay, this adult says we're going to build a tower. That sounds like a good activity. Let's build a tower. But then we said, what do you mean we're going to build a tower? How are we going to do that? Well, if you're, any, if you're familiar at all with what a stereotypical scout thing might look like, uh, think of um, the holy grail of scout pioneering merit badge, which is the 14-foot signal tower. All right? So it was made of four felled trees that were the four poles, and then you would be supported with X's that were lashed onto those four poles. We'd lash together a platform, put that on top for us to stand, lash together a uh, ladder, and it was 14 feet tall, huge, and nothing was there before, and, nothing, or, and now there's this huge tower there. However, um, so all of a sudden we had that image in our head, right? We're going to build this awesome 14-foot tower, and we were just like 12, 13 years old. Uh, uh, we, we go to sleep that night. We're still worried. We're just 13-year-old kids. But uh, uh, Scoutmaster, he's going to help us out. The next morning, we go up to Scoutmaster, and we're like, hey, we're all like 11 to 13 years old. How are we going to build a tower? Uh, and he goes, guys, what are you talking about? I know you all did uh, Pioneer and Merit Badge uh, this summer at Scout Camp. And he was right. So we all did Pioneering Merit Badge, where we learned knots, what everyone thinks Boy Scouts know. So we knew the clove hitch, the butterfly knot, the round turn with two half hitches, the rolling hitch, the water knot, the carrot bend, the sheep shank, and the sheep bend. So what that meant was we could do the square, diagonal, round, sheer, tripod, and floor lashings. We could build the tower. You see, we already had our foundation laid. We had studied and earned the merit badge, which taught us all the skills that we needed to build this tower. And we could go back at any time to that foundation, draw from it, and uh, reap the benefits. So we split into groups. Uh, we make teams. We, one, one section is working on these poles. One section is uh, assembling the X's. One is doing the floor, the what have you. And the day went by, the sun went down, and the tower was built. And we all took turns standing on top before everyone had a cell phone camera, so no proof. However, 
we didn't give up despite our doubts. We completed the project not by winging it, but because we sat down, we made a plan, and we remembered and returned to our foundation for strength. You see, Jesus also gives us a goal to be his disciple and to go and make disciples of all nations. Like building something, everyone gets very excited about the goal, about the vision, about the mission statement that everyone voted on at the voters' meeting. However, uh, we often don't take into account the whole plan, seeing it through to the end, the cost of discipleship. Yes, we have the foundation there, but when it's time to go out and tell someone about the gospel, about Jesus, with your, your hairdresser, all of a sudden, the words aren't there. Maybe they are there, but you're just too embarrassed, or you don't want to bother them, or you just don't feel comfortable with what you know. You feel alone on this one. Well, luckily, you aren't alone out there. As Jesus talks today about the cost of carrying the cross, he bears that cross with us daily, and he ultimately uh, bared the cross for us on the cross when he died for our sins, the ultimate shame. Not only did people laugh and say he could save others, but not himself, the death that he died was public, the most public it could be, showed his physical weakness as well as his nakedness, and even all of his possessions were raffled off right in front of him, his clothes. It was like basically everyone's worst nightmare all rolled into one in real life. But this isn't bad news, at least not to us. This is good news. Jesus endured the cross, despised shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he's the king of all creation. He transformed what is shame to us into glory for him and showed that all of it belongs to him. So, but what about when you don't feel comfortable in witness with knowing what or how to talk about Jesus? When you feel alone in witness? Well, a familiar passage comes to mind, right? It actually, Jesus says this about a couple chapters before this lesson. He says, When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, people get this one wrong all the time. Uh, when I first read it when I was a young man, I thought, Phew, I don't have to read the Bible or like study any sort of witness documents or whatever because the Holy Spirit will just whisper right in my ear and it'll come out my mouth. Well, it's not that easy. The verse is saying that we are hearers, catechumens, students of God and his Holy Spirit. He's teaching us constantly what we ought to do in his word, in the scriptures. And we're constantly engaging in his word. We don't need to kick ourselves all night because of what we thought we might have said or could have said to a friend or our family at Thanksgiving who doesn't know Christ. Because the whole time we're proclaiming the very words of the Spirit. You see, we need to reach to our foundations, our faith in Christ and his promises in the word. While, yes, we can and should do this on our own, we also do it in community, in family. Jesus says that you need to be willing to lose your entire family 
in order to be his disciple. Well, you also need to be willing to gain an even larger one in the church. Because this family in our baptisms is responsible for passing on God's big story, as well as all those little details we often neglect. What I'm saying is, today is rally day, and Sunday school is that manure pile that we need to return to each week after a busy week of fertilizing everyone we meet with his word. We come to church each week, deflated, tired, spiritually dead, and we're reinvigorated with solid teaching. Through returning to Sunday school and hearing preaching each week, we return to our state of not being useless salt, but instead fertilizer, fostering the faith of our neighbors. I want to point you in closing to today's appointed psalm. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the instruction of Yahweh and meditates on it day and night. When he does this, he's like a tree planted by streams of water and cannot be moved. He yields fruit at the proper time, which echoes those words of the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Teaching, learning, reading, listening. Being a hearer, a catechumen, like Jesus calls us this week, gives us the courage, the strength, the foundation to share him and his message with others. So at Village, we know our teachers and preachers also love us, and we wish, and they wish to shower us and our kids with the blessings of the fear and knowledge of God. To fear, love, and trust God is the beginning of wisdom. And this rally day, we can look with surety to our teachers here at Village, to accomplish this very project set forth by Christ. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Amen.